in the teachings of the Buddha. The word that we tend to translate as meditation is bhavana. Bhavana can be perhaps more usefully or can be usefully understood as meaning the cultivation of. So when we talk about meditation we can understand that we are speaking of a process of cultivation, of development. And essentially what we are concerned with the cultivation of is what we call our heart and mind. And uh, this is essentially what practice, as understood within these teachings, is concerned with. And so far as we're talking about meditation practice, of course there are other practices, but uh, meditation practices, the cultivation of heart and mind. And it's useful within that to be clear about what we are cultivating. And there are many different things we can be cultivating, developing through practice. But the essential cultivation, the essential development in practice is the cultivation and development of attention, of the capacity of the mind, and we could say equally of the heart, to be present in a connected, receptive and engaged way. And so I'd just like to reflect for a few moments on what that means. Another way we could describe it is to say that meditation is the art of cultivating attention. And attention has three primary elements which are, when cultivated, profoundly transformative. And the first of these elements is the element of, we could say, focus or collectedness or concentration, sometimes the word used, to describe the mind and heart that is gathered together, that is not fragmented, that is not dissipated, that is not diluted through being directed to too many objects at the same time. And this is where we begin in establishing presence and connecting with where we are through gathering and collecting the mind. And we've spoken about this. In order to be present, we must connect, we must collect ourselves. But what we notice as we do this is that often there are experiences which arise that make it difficult, which make it challenging to be present. That there are phenomena or experiences that arise in our body, in our heart, in our mind, and we could say in the world around us that challenge us, that are not easy to receive. And the second quality of attention which supports our ability to be wholeheartedly present is the quality of receptivity, of openness, of allowing, of kindness, we could say. There's a certain and very powerful kindness in allowing something to be the way it is. If we think of what we might wish 
in terms of kindness from others. We would wish to be seen as we are and allowed to be that way. So in practice we're learning to see what is happening and allow it to be the way it is. Allow our experience to be as it is. This actually allows us to come closer to what is happening. Insofar as we are resisting, rejecting, or holding ourselves apart from the experience when we are not fully receiving it. There is a distance. There is a way in which we're not quite fully there, not quite fully here. That we, through opening to both the difficult and the challenging experiences, and equally opening to the fact that at times we aren't present, at times we're not fully here, not reacting with judgment or resistance to the content of our experience or to the process of our meditation unfolding. Simply acknowledging, recognizing what is there and allowing it to be so. That doesn't mean we cannot respond to it skillfully, but that initially we acknowledge and receive it. And this quality of receptivity begins to transform how we experience the difficult and equally that which is not difficult. At times when we are challenged by what's going on, it's really useful to remember that we are cultivating this quality that can receive. That can receive our life and our experience. Because when things are steady and smooth and things flowing along, and sometimes they do, as you know, on retreat and meditation, we tend to think that what it's all about is this calm, still, steadying, stabilizing of mind, which is really more to do with that first quality of focus, collectedness, calm, that leads to a stillness and a peace of mind. But uh, when that's not going on, often what's being offered to us is the opportunity to develop openness, receptivity, allowing, when the mind is agitated, when the heart is not at ease, when the body is in discomfort. This is a time when we learn to open. And this process of opening is what allows our heart to open, allows us to move through the, uh, the places of hardness or numbness or tightening in our body and equally in our mind that express an unconscious or sometimes actually quite conscious resistance to what is here, to what is true, to what is now. And as that quality of receptivity develops, we come closer to where we are. And of course this quality of receptivity, of allowing is very much what's primary in the cultivation of, of loving-kindness meditation. We're developing kindness, metta, that receptive, allowing, appreciating just what is as it is, ourself or another. Just as when we're developing primarily concentration, that quality of focusing is what's primary. The third quality that we develop is a quality of interest, of curiosity, of, of investigating what's occurring in our experience. So long as we presume we already know 
all there is to know about what is occurring, then we continue to stand a little distance from what is happening. So the mind is somewhat shut off or closed by the assumption of knowing, by the belief that we already, through our past experience, know all there is to know about this moment. And so there's a, a quality to cultivate, to, to develop, to be aware of the importance and the power of this. Almost like a, an innocent interest that is often, I think, rather beautifully expressed in the face of young children when they encounter something new. A small creature crawling on a table. And sometimes some quite remarkable and occasionally strange we could say creatures wander into our meditations, different experiences of all sorts. Sometimes they're really familiar, we think, I know it. Sometimes they're rather unusual, and we're surprised. Sometimes, of course, we can be a little anxious if they're completely new to us. But more often we notice a sense of interest, to see what the effect of that quality of interest is, and how it comes from an openness of mind and in cultivating it, in establishing it, that quality of openness of mind deepens. It is that releasing our habitual position, the conceit of the intellect that believes it already knows this experience, that believes that on the basis of the past, the present, can be defined. And yet it cannot and much less, of course, the future. The sense of knowing is a way in which the past hangs over the present. And when that sense is not there, when we consciously engage with, establish a sense of curiosity, of interest, of exploring, this actually allows us again to come more closely, more deeply, more intimately in contact with the unfoldment of our experience. And it is this quality of interest, of exploration, that is given, ultimately given the, the primary emphasis in the practice of insight, of Vipassana meditation, which is about exploring, about understanding. And yet, all the practices that I've referred to, the cultivation of samatha, Concentration, the concentration of loving kindness, method, the uh, cultivation of of insight. All of these require all three of these qualities to be there. Although emphasis may be stronger on one than another, ultimately we need to be gathered, collected, focused. We need to be open, receptive, allowing, and we need to be interested, curious in order for the, for the full potential of our practice to reveal itself. So bearing these in mind, particularly if you have any inclination towards judging how your practice is, and we often do that based on how the first quality is going, i.e. how concentrated, how focused, how still our mind is, how peaceful our experience is. We often form judgments about our practice based on that. Sometimes we form them on the basis of 
how much interest there is or how much receptivity there is. But mostly we think mind is calm, things are good. When the mind is not calm, it's an opportunity to bring a sense of kindness or gentleness. It's an opportunity to bring some interest, some curiosity, to see what's going on here in this process. As we practice meditation, particularly in the context of insight meditation, but again equally in other forms, we need to be able to skillfully recognize and respond to all forms of our experience, to everything that arises. And so while we initially tend to focus on the breath or some other chosen object and sitting, or the contact of the foot with the earth and walking meditation. Over the development of the retreat and the unfoldment of our practice, we include more and more experiences. And we've spoken about the body and sound. And uh, yesterday Rob was speaking about states of mind. Today, the... Uh, area of experience I'd like to speak a little more about is what we call emotions. And it's an interesting word from the point of view of Dharma teaching because it doesn't actually occur as a word in the uh, language of the Buddha. It's not that they didn't exist, I suspect, in the time when the Buddha walked the earth, but uh, somehow they have a very powerful significance in our culture. And uh, yet they didn't necessarily, they weren't necessarily seen in the same way in times past. The process of emotional experience arising is something that we need to pay attention to. The feeling life, we may call it, life of the heart, perhaps. To notice, first of all, that emotions are something which arise and pass. <coughs> they are of the nature of all experience. They come and they go. It can be that, of course, they are quite sticky for us. We can find ourselves entangled in them or struggling with them. And it's important to learn to recognize them, to see the waves of emotion that come. And they come as waves, sometimes with quite a force, quite a surge, we might say. And sometimes it feels like it's not just any old wave, but a rather large and perhaps even tidal waves that come. We feel swept away, overwhelmed, tumbled and bruised perhaps. And so as a result we can sometimes be kind of afraid or highly cautious with regard to emotional life. We sometimes think that meditation is a way of kind of stopping all that difficult messy behaviour from going on. And yet of course in a retreat, we see at times the emotional life revealing itself. And meditation is not to somehow flatten or blank out the emotional life, but to understand it, to see how we tend to push away or grasp at different emotions. And that in doing so, we create suffering. 
we tend to identify with them as being who we are or somehow our possessions and in that identifying with them become entangled in them so it's useful to notice how an emotional experience is a pleasant for us that's delight or joy or happiness or <coughs> enthusiasm different emotions we can experience how we actually want them to stay how we think this is nice, this is how it should be I'd like to continue this experience and we are at the same time afraid that they'll go this is the normal uncon- this is the unconscious response when something is pleasant we want it to stay we fear that it will go of course when they're unpleasant it's the other way around sadness or fear anger can be many things we actually want them to go and we fear that they will stay in that grasping in that fear we see this is the place of entanglement and it's useful just to notice how that happens to be able to clearly recognize when the emotional life is arising for you and how you are responding to it because if we don't notice this we tend to simply enact our unconscious reactivity so to allow the emotional life to come and to notice it for what it is to actually see it clearly emotions come and go as part of the natural unfoldment of life there's a beautiful phrase from Khalil Gibran in the prophet where he speaks of the seasons of the heart and I think it evokes rather wonderfully the sense of emotional life as a process rather like the seasons and sometimes it's summer and we like it and wouldn't it be nice if it was forever sometimes it's winter and it's cold and it's harsh and we might wish we didn't have to experience this we have to understand that winter is the condition from which the new growth of spring comes and at times when it's difficult with the emotions to see that they are in motion emotion it's something that moves and when we allow it to move then in the end emotional life is not an obstacle to us it's neither our obstacle nor is it ultimately our objective to have one experience and not the other but to actually look at them see them investigate them and understand how it is they come to have power over our life and in what way we are able to see them in order to be free in their very midst rather than the rather more temporary freedom we might imagine that would involve their absence so emotions are a composite experience they include a number of different elements and I think this is why the Buddha didn't speak of them directly but in his uh, tendency to break things down and show the various parts rather than the appearance of a, a composed or constructive apparent unity emotions include the state of mind the particular flavor of consciousness which is really useful to notice and uh, just as a metaphor I, maybe um, Rob spoke about this yesterday but uh, I find the metaphor very useful for states of mind it's like having colored glasses on and this is very much part of what happens with emotions like if you have colored glasses on everything looks appears to be the color of the glass 
you have pink glasses on, everything looks pink. And this is what we talk about someone's in love. Wearing rose-coloured spectacles and everything looks pink. How lovely. Or if uh, we're feeling kind of gloomy, depressed, things look grey. And everything looks grey. People look grey. Health looks grey. Flowers look grey. It's obviously really how it is. It's what we think. We're feeling angry and things look black and threatening and bad. To notice how mind states colour the way we see the world. They don't actually colour the world. The world is not that colour. It's the mind that has taken that colour. When we see that, we can notice that the second part of the emotion, and what makes it an emotion really, is it tends to have a story with it. It tends to be more than just a state of mind. It has a story about why I have the state of mind. And it was because this happened and that happened and he did and she did and I should have and they didn't and all of that that tends to come with this energy, with this strength. And it also has a future. It has a where it came from and a where it's going and I need to do this or I shouldn't do that or they must or must not. We feel there's a certain power, a certain way we're taken hold of by the energy of the emotion. And it's that energy which is moving, which we need to see. And rather than be swept away by, actually learn to meet and to be with. And where we can do this, this is the third part of the emotional process, and it's actually the body. When emotion is happening, there's that way the consciousness is coloured, as if seeing through coloured glass. There's the stories of thoughts running through the mind that we tend to get lost in. We tend to forget where we are because of the power and the charge of an emotion and be in the story of what happened or what needs to happen. What we want to happen, what we fear will happen within the story of the emotion. Coming into the body and noticing what does it actually feel like? What is the expression or the manifestation in your body of the emotional process that's happening? And being able to tune into and connect with this experience one is able to actually meet the emotion as it is, not having to reject it, not having to suppress it, and knowing it becoming lost in or overwhelmed by it. And of course this is often the fear with emotion, that we'll become overwhelmed by it. And perhaps our experiences uh, as young children was that our emotions were too powerful and we tended to shut off or close down to parts of our experience in order to protect ourselves from the intensity of the emotional energy that may threaten to or actually overwhelm our as yet undeveloped and you say immature capacity as adults we have the capacity to meet our experience sometimes we need to learn how to so with this it's useful to name the emotion, to notice what it is, to give it a name. If it's sadness or joy, if it's confusion or frustration or irritation or anger or excitement or exhilaration or delight or calm or peace. If you don't have a name, it doesn't matter. But sometimes it's useful just to say, oh, it's that, yeah, and recognize it. And then to notice well, that's what it is, but where do I feel it? Is it in my body? Where in my body? Is it in a location? Is it more general? And what does it feel like? How is it? 
Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it hard? Is it soft? Is it moving? Is it still? Get to know it as a physical felt experience to see if you can be with it, see if you can allow it to be and be there in its presence, present with it. Noticing, of course, that if it's too strong or overwhelming that you can back off or give it plenty of space. You don't have to go right to where it's strongest. But just notice where it is. And if it feels like just, you know, like something very hot, you don't just try and grab it. You just come gently up to where it feels warm. And you might find that if you just explore a little bit, how close is a useful distance? So you can find the place in which you can meet it. Not backing off and running away, but nor feeling you somehow have to jump headfirst into it. Just exploring the territory of your body in which the feeling is revealed, in which the emotion is expressed. If it's too intense or you feel you don't have the resources to be there, you just come out to the very edge where you only just sense it or completely move your attention away. Take your attention back to the breath to some other part of your body or to listening. That's fine. Sometimes it can be useful just to feel the contact points where your bottom touches the cushion, your knees or feet touch the floor, your hands are on, <coughs> on your thighs, on your lap. So you're staying connected and being able to, we could say, make a skillful adjustment of the level of intensity or exposure to the experience when it's strong or intense. And at other times, just simply to experience it when it's more possible just to be there with it, to rest with it, to meet it. To notice with the process of emotions how often we have the sense of continuity. In the very midst of it, it seems like this is how it's always been. And the story of our difficult emotions is often, oh, I'm feeling really miserable. You know, we first of all see that this is, I'm feeling miserable. Okay, and then we think, I've always been miserable. It's always been like this. Every time I remember, it was like this. And then my family, my parents, they were miserable. I had miserable parents too. And my children will probably be miserable as well. We have the sense of this, you know, life is going to be miserable. In the midst of it, that's what we imagine. And that's where the struggle with it comes. The sense of being condemned forever. To notice if that's going on, how that's just a story, it's a projection how the experience is something we can meet and maybe feels heavy in the midst of that story or dense or dull or painful and notice how when we actually pay attention to it it's changing and at times when we pay attention to it we see it's actually not there particularly with difficult emotional processes to notice their absence to actually pay attention to the absence of something you're working with, that's grief. And it seems like there's a lot of it. Sometimes it can be so. Just notice how in that moment when you, I don't know, served a pile of rice onto your plate or millet today, and wasn't feeling, maybe one was feeling neutral, or maybe one was excited at the prospect of lunch. But noticing the absence of a consistent or apparently solid emotion in another moment. Or just when sitting in the armchair, one thinks, ah, it's okay in this moment. Or walking and just seeing a tree. We just notice, ah, a tree. 
Oh, that's not great. Noticing the absence of a difficult emotion allows one to puncture that illusion of solidity that it has. So when we're in the middle of it, we begin to remember that even from the midst of it, this is just for now and not forever. And in seeing that, a large amount of its power is dissolved. And to see also that these experiences simply arise, that we experience emotions, feelings, responses. We have a heart that is sensitive, that is touched, that responds, sometimes in a way that is uplifted, sometimes in a way that feels heavy or deflated. Getting to know that experience without having to make it into who or what we are. And to see the difference that occurs when we simply recognize that this is happening. Rather than I am afraid, it's like, oh, this is fear. Or I am angry. Oh, this is anger. Or I am happy. Oh, this is happiness. Not denying the experience at all, seeing it clearly for what it is. But when we don't identify with it, we don't make ourselves into the owner of it or the victim of it. Then it's simply something unfolding. Then it's simply an experience arising. We can notice it. We can be with it if that's useful. We can move our attention away if that's useful. But we're not conditioned by it. We're not bound by it. And so the realm of emotional life is part of meditation practice. And if it's useful, you may spend some time with those experiences, exploring. If it seems useful just to notice that they're there and uh, bring the attention back to the breath or whatever else is standing out in that moment, that's fine too. But noticing that we don't make a hierarchy amongst experience, but ultimately we're learning to work with each and every moment, however it appears or reveals itself. And In what we call bhavana, the cultivation of heart and mind, it is the movement towards liberation that underpins all these practices, all these suggestions. And that being able to be present in the midst of what is, is the basis of freedom, the basis of understanding, equally the basis of concentration, samadhi, and loving kindness. All of these flow. Wisdom, compassion, and peace. All of these flow from the deepening of our capacity to inhabit unconditionally this moment and each moment. So continue in your practice. Really 
make use of the entirety of the day as an opportunity for practice. I'd like to kind of re-emphasize the importance and the value of the walking meditation. But sometimes it's easy to get to think that sitting is what it's really all about and in between one kind of has a break with a cup of tea or a few interesting and hopefully inspiring passages from a book. There's something about sitting and walking or sitting and walking and standing or sitting and walking and standing and lying or sitting and walking and standing and lying and eating and drinking and moving from place to place and going to the bathroom when all of it is really made into a meditation into an opportunity for practice. So when I say sitting and walking I'm referring to the primary formal modes of practice but really what I'm speaking about is sustaining sustaining the intention and the willingness to engage with each and every moment to not set up what we might call sort of like meditation holidays where we kind of say oh, I've been doing pretty well I've done enough for now I think I'll take a break and just enjoy a bit of mindlessness sure we're not always mindful but noticing how when we actively consent to it or even actually seek it out there's enough enough breaks in the mindfulness generally without having to pursue them and not in that setting up some sense of rigorous sort of willpower driven effort but more a quiet and steady and wholehearted commitment to being awake in each and every moment where it's possible and to beginning again and again in that process recognizing that there will be those moments and perhaps many when we're not but each of those moments when we're not is an invitation and an opportunity to re-engage, to notice where we are. To make every experience a meditation is to understand that each experience has the opportunity or offers us the opportunity to be used for bhavana, for cultivation of heart and mind to bring that focus, collected, connected, present stabilizing, steadying the mind to open, to receive, to allow cultivating receptivity that openness of heart and kindness that receives what is and to cultivate that interest and curiosity that's not an intellectual interest about figuring it out but that wants to know more than we know already by being willing to suspend our certainty and just engage from a place of freshness with one breath, with one moment with one experience, whatever it is right now Through this sustained practice, liberation is possible. 
This is the teaching of the Buddha. This is the transmission of the Dharma. Through our day, sitting, walking, standing, lying, and all the activities, taking an interest, paying attention. This is the path of cultivation of heart and mind, and equally the path and the direction of the heart release. So there's a few minutes now before the end of the scheduled sitting period. You can just sit quietly and I'll uh, ring a bell. At the end, of course, some may wish to continue to sit. So again, my blessings to you all in your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.